the Irish Times business podcast in association with Irish Life. We're here to support your company and your employees now and in the future. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Hello and welcome to the Irish Times Business Podcast. This is Thursday, January 22nd. I'm Kieran Hancock and on this week's show we'll be looking at the key events in Davos and Frankfurt. We'll start with the ECB's meeting in Frankfurt where Mario Draghi has announced a €60 billion Euro a month programme of quantitative easing stretching out to September 2016. Joining us live from Frankfurt is the Irish Times Economics Editor, Arthur Beasley. Arthur, the €60 billion Euro a month announced by Draghi today was ahead of market expectations. What's been the reaction in Frankfurt? I think there was a sense that uh, the ECB has gone as, as far as it could plausibly go at this time. Uh, there was not unanimity. That was not expected. Uh, the belief is that the German members of the, of the governing council voted against. However, I think it is seen as a, something of a, a landmark initiative and the very fact that uh, Draghi was able to announce his package, a package as large as he has uh, suggests that he has uh, essentially won the argument. There's a feeling that he was never going to win the, win, to win the argument with German critics of uh, quantitative easing. Now, for the benefit of listeners, what is quantitative easing? How will it work and why do we need it? Uh, well, the reason we need it is that the uh, European economy in general is at a standstill. The Irish economy is growing at uh, quite a healthy clip, but that's not the case elsewhere in the Eurozone. We've also seen a decline in consumer prices in the most recent month, and there are, con- conf- there are fears with uh, the price of oil uh, declining steadily that uh, the uh, decrease in prices could morph into a deflationary spiral in which prices would decline and decline and you'd have a self-reinforcing uh, effect in which uh, the uh, economies would, would slip into a pretty dire recession with the overall totality of the debt overhang uh, increasing all of the time, thereby making things a lot worse in what is already a weakened European economy. So just explain to us the mechanics of it. How, do, how will it work? Essentially, the ECB will, uh, for 19 months beginning in March, uh, buy up to 60 billion euro worth of government bonds per month. That's a total intervention of 1.4 trillion over the course of the 19 months. The objective being to, if you like, to drop money into the economy uh, in the mode of a, this has been described as a, as a helicopter drop. Now, the, the, the mechanism under which this is done is that essentially the bank will be buying bonds in the secondary market. That's bonds already held by private investors and banks. Uh, there'll be a ready market for those bonds and that the money realized by the holders of those bonds, the hope is that that money would be then uh, lent on into the economy by banks or simply reinvested in other private sector assets. Right. And the aim is that that will provide a boost or a stimulus or a spur to economic growth. Uh, there are other effects, of course, however. Uh, I mean, one of those would be the, the feeling that uh, this will essentially debase the currency. You're creating more money. Therefore, the value of the euro is going to go down. The currency is at an 11-year low this afternoon uh, in the wake of the announcement. It has been in decline in anticipation, and that is of benefit to uh, manufacturers in Europe because it makes uh, exports priced in, in the single currency, uh, it, it means 
that they're essentially going to be cheaper and therefore they're going to sell more of them. Yeah, and Ender Kenny in Davos earlier today stated that he felt weaker Europe would be positive for Ireland because, first of all, as you mentioned, our exports would be cheaper, but also because uh, Americans and British people coming to Ireland, they obviously aren't in the Euro and it makes visiting Ireland a lot cheaper. Uh, well, that's quite right. So there's a, there's a there's a benefit there for the for the tourism industry, but there's also another benefit for the for the Irish government because one uh, percent or a little bit over one percent of the money uh, deployed in this uh, policy of quantitative easing will be used to buy up uh, the bonds bonds of the Irish state. Now that's a figure somewhat in excess of uh, six hundred million euro per month. And what happens is that those bonds are going to be held by the Central Bank of Ireland as opposed to private investors. So the interest the Irish government pays on those bonds will go first to the central bank in Dame Street and then go straight back to Marion Street by way of dividends from the central bank. So there will be a fill-up there, a very appreciable fill-up in the public finances from the policy. Right, okay. Can you put a figure on that over the course of the uh, the, fee- the The feeling is that in, in, in the course of a single year that, that, could, that the benefits could be uh, of the order of uh, 200 or 300 million and that uh, with bonds being bought up for a period of 19 months that the benefit could be in the order of 300 or 500 million. Now, there are some ambiguities there. Uh, some clarity remains to be achieved because it must be recalled that the Central Bank of Ireland is already a big holder of Irish bonds by way of the deal to cancel the Anglo-Irish Bank promissory notes and the question arises as to whether those large holdings will be included uh, in the, or those large holdings will be uh, will be uh, will prevent the uh, ECB from buying up as many Irish bonds as it would, uh, as it might otherwise buy. Why were the Germans so opposed to this plan? Any any intervention of this nature by a central bank is uh, touchy in Germany. There is the history and legacy of uh, hyperinflation in the 1920s, which had all sorts of dreadful consequences at that time and afterwards. And also, there is the uh, very well-established tradition in Germany of central bank independence. And the feeling is that uh, interventions of this nature essentially uh, serve to help governments, thereby putting them easily pressure on them to uh, correct the deficits and imbalances in their public finances and the build-up of debt, and that the uh, pressure that would be there from market forces in the absence of a central bank buying up bonds uh, is essentially going to be absent, and therefore the stricken governments uh, are essentially getting an easy pass, if you like, from the central bank in the middle. Will the losses, the risk of losses be spread among the euro countries? It will to the extent of up to 80% of the liabilities. Now, this is a, uh, much has been made of this. And uh, the uh, lack of mutualization or mutualization only to the extent of 20%. Michael um, Newland spoke about it earlier. Well, indeed, he, he, Castle, he? he did. And he, he, he and many other observers. However, uh, Draghi kind of uh, poo pooed all that today and uh, essentially said that, look, that is a sideshow. What matters here is that the central bank is intervening. We're talking very, very large volumes of money. And, uh, you know, the feeling is that uh, the, this is of greater benefit than any concerns you would have around the lack of mutualization. Uh, he was also asked about the danger that you could have asset price bubbles emerging as a result of new money created by the ECB 
flooding into the real economy and he said really that was for people at the at the national level that was for national regulators to deal with and he also said that uh, you know that uh, the bank has intervened before there were fears of inflation of hyperinflation and what's going on really here is a drive to uh, is, is a drive to prevent deflation and he said that there should be a statute of limitations uh, quite funnily uh, on any claims that uh, inflation is nigh as a result of ECB interventions because the problem at the moment is that there's no inflation at all. And what about Greece? Will they be able to purchase Greek bonds? Uh, he made the point today that uh, uh, Greek bonds are already ineligible, or, 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 or that uh, and Greek banks are already ineligible for participation in some uh, many of the supports offered by the ECB. That can only happen if, uh, or the ECB can only continue to can only continue supporting Greece if Greece is in an EU IMF program. The current program expires at the end of February, uh, and uh, he said that these are rules not invented uh, in an ad hoc manner for Greece. These are the same. Rules rules which apply for everyone, so he's quite clearly signalling that uh, whomever is elected in Greece on Sunday is going to have to get themselves in order and sign up for a new programme if the ECB is going to continue uh, helping. Now, I mean, so that we, we would not expect him to say anything else uh, in the mouth of an election, if you like, and that situation remains to be resolved, but the clear signal is, is that uh, anyone campaigning in Athens tonight or at Thessaloniki or, or wherever else uh, cannot rely on uh, special support from the ECB at this point if there's going to be no programme. Arthur, earlier today the former US Treasury Secretary Larry Summers warned that QE uh, easing wouldn't be a panacea in Europe uh, and it would probably be less impactful than the bond buying programme they had in the United States a few years back. So in the round, uh, is this a good day for the Eurozone and are you convinced that this QE programme can actually work? Um, well, I mean, I, uh, I think only a fool would say that the problems of the Eurozone are, are, are going to be fixed uh, with any single intervention. Uh, I think there's still a serious problem there. There is the question of the ma- massive debt overhang. There's the question of the vulnerability of all of the, the, the weakened countries. Um, I think uh, this will provide a layer of confidence. Um, it ha- the bank has gone further than many thought it was going to go, uh, but no one's out of the woods, and I don't think anyone really in Frankfurt at this time believes that this intervention on its own is going to save the single currency. Okay, Arthur Bees, the economics editor of the Irish Times. Thank you for joining us. At Irish Life, we can tell you that 49% of employees in Ireland don't think about tomorrow. They don't have a pension plan. We can help you help them. Because if you're involved in running your company's pension plan, we can administer it for you. With our member-specific investment solutions, online access for employers, trustees and members, and always-on smartphone apps. Just call one of our corporate team on 01704-1845. Visit irishlifecorporatebusiness.ie or contact your pension consultant to find out how we can help your company think of tomorrow. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information source for Irish Life September 2014. We move now to the Swiss resort of Davos, where the World Economic Forum has been taking place this week involving 2,600 business leaders and heads of state. There for the Irish Times is business editor John McManus and European correspondent Suzanne Lynch. John, we might start with you. Have you been picking up any reaction in Davos to the news of the ECB's QE plans? Uh, yeah, bits, bits and pieces. It's uh, the, the news is really still um, filtering through. We we would hope that uh, Angela Merkel would actually be speaking 
publicly at the at the time, uh, same time as Mario Draghi was making his announcements. But uh, through a bit of sort of careful stage management, they managed to get her off the stage before he'd um, changed the course of history, so to speak. But um, I was uh, I, I've also been speaking to some Irish government uh, sources, and they are um, they're, they're they're pretty re- relaxed about it. Um, they they, they They've been talking to investors themselves all afternoon, and they say that um, you know most people just want to know about the Irish growth story, and um, you know if there's a if there's a if there's a bit of a, um, a a downside to this, it's the it's the sheer amount of Irish government debt that the Irish central bank is going to end up holding. It's an additional 16 billion, I think, is the calculation. But um, you know they, they just think in, in, in investors' minds, anyway. It's talking about sort of FDI investors here. The um, the, the growth story. Um, outweighs that so that you know no one seems too worried here and everyone seems pretty optimistic that um it's going to work you know they they, they they expect ireland to benefit quite um strongly from the lower exchange rate um hopefully bank lending will be freed up a little bit uh, and then there should be some sort of a boost to, to confidence and john just in terms of investors and the conversations they're having with our government representatives uh, is it focusing around the knowledge box or tax issues like the ending of the double Irish or the Apple tax case? Well, I think, I think Sadam was, was, was talking to the idea earlier, so she might have a better uh, idea than me, but uh, I, I think that's the assumption that, that um, you know, you look at the calibre of the, the, the people that they're um, talking to, they would they would have been availing of the double Irish, so uh, you'd have to imagine they'd be interested in whatever's going to replace it. Suzanne, maybe you can take us through. You, you met with the head of the IDA, Martin Shanahan. Uh, maybe just take us through what he had to tell you. Yeah, this is speaking to Martin Shanahan there. Um, he was particularly, I suppose, very upbeat uh, about uh, the experience here this year in Davos. Uh, the IDA arrived here Wednesday and are going to be here for two days holding meetings uh, with between about 40 and 50 companies of different sizes and different scales. Um, he's saying that they're targeting three sectors, the tech sector, financial services, and pharmaceuticals. That, that could be quite surprising. You don't imagine many pharmaceutical companies here in Davos, but they're here. Um, as, we, as you know, pharmaceutical companies are quite a presence when it comes to um, uh, events like this and, um, and, and clients' uh, events and that kind of thing. So he's saying he's talking to investors from uh, um, the U.S., but also uh, Europe and Asia. Now, uh, you're absolutely right. He did say that the knowledge box issue is, is a definite source of conversation. A lot of the companies that are already in Ireland want to know exactly what is the plan with the knowledge box. Now, a lot of these client companies, some of the big multinationals we have, are probably going to be the very companies that contribute to the government's um, request for information that's ongoing at the moment. Um, but he said very much the conversation is focused on exactly what the details of that knowledge box is. And any focus around the ending of the double Irish or the Apple tax case? No, I mean, I've been trying to get the sense here in Davos um, about this issue of tax. Obviously, tax evasion, tax avoidance has been a big issue internationally uh, over the last year. Um, it's quite noticeable here that um, Jean-Claude Juncker, the head of the European Commission, is not here. And ironically, his predecessor, uh, Jose Manuel Barroso, is. He's, he's appearing at one of the panels, um, and he was here last year. So there are a, a, a lot of the commissioners, around eight or nine, are down from Brussels, but not younger. Um, but the, the, uh, the IDA seem to say no, that there isn't an issue about tax. 
that these multinational companies, you know, are very sophisticated companies when it comes to tax issues. They've been doing their research. They know what they have to do uh, in terms of, you know, maximizing their tax tax bill, and they're keeping an eye on all the regulations at the international and EU level. So the sense we're getting is that, no, it's, it's not a big issue here in Davos. Okay, John, aside from uh, the Taoiseach and the IDA representatives, is, is there any Irish business presence in Davos that you've managed to track down? Well, um, Suzanne uh, caught up with uh, Dennis O'Brien briefly uh, out in the snow um, yesterday morning, but but uh, and he's he's here doing some work on behalf of the um, international telecoms uh, companies. But other than that, Demo Martin is here, and, and like I said, the teacher just put himself about. But uh, beyond that, Irish um, Irish businesses seem fairly businessmen seem fairly thin on the ground. Suzanne, any joy with Dennis O'Brien? Had he any pearls of wisdom for you? Yes, well, I bumped into him within an hour of arriving in Davos. There he was walking along the street. Um, and I think to him briefly, yeah, he was here for about 24 hours in his capacity as um, a member, a very senior person in the ITU, just the UN's uh, telecoms uh, organization. So he participated in a private session debate uh, on Thursday morning uh, at 8 a.m. with senior executives from the telecom se- sector, head of Ericsson, for example, the head of America, Mobile, um, and the president of Estonia. So that was his main reason for being here. Apart from that, he's been quite, quite low profile. John, the World Economic Forum, it's quite a jamboree. I was reading somewhere that it could cost uh, an average of $40,000 to attend 2,600 business leaders and heads of state and so on. Um, it's held every year, obviously. A lot of uh, speeches get made, but do any decisions ever get made or is it just one big talking shop? Well, I think the first point to make is that the Irish Times budget uh, for attending doesn't um, extend to uh, any anything in the region. Of, uh, well, that is a relief of for all of us to know that. <laughs> but um, but I, I think uh, a lot of business must get done here behind closed doors and inside meetings or, or people just wouldn't keep coming back um, time and time again because as you say it's, 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 it's very expensive uh, another figure that's being bandied around is that uh, for a chief executive to attend uh, attend properly which is you know private jet to Zurich and helicopter up to Davos and everything else uh, there wouldn't be much change out of uh, $200,000 so um, they're, they're, you'd, you'd, you'd have to assume um, what's going on? But you, you know you, the tangible results of it. You, 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 there aren't any tangible results that we can see. Now, does uh, the Taoiseach is hosting a dinner tonight with the IDA? Isn't that right? Any any sense of who'll be there? Um, well, it's a dinner for about forty-five to fifty people. It's been hosted by the IDA and the Taoiseach. Uh, they're being very private about who's going to attend, but they're saying very senior executives from the tech sector and a mixture of. Uh, of companies, existing client companies and future client companies. But, I mean, there is quite a competition here for for attendees. Um, one interesting person I was talking to today, for example, is the chief investment officer with uh, an asset management firm called Guggenheim Investments. Uh, I was chatting to him, and, and while we were standing there, Bob Diamond, the ex-Barclays chief, came along, and they were speaking about their dinner plans for tonight. Um, you know, this constant... This, the, the, the business gets done around, around, the, around the table in the evenings. So the idea of been planning this for, for, for all year in order to get the right people at, at, the dinner, at this dinner tonight. So this will be crucial uh, to the success or not of, of, the, of, the, of Ireland's presence here. And John, anything of interest on the agenda for the remainder of the week? Well, the other thing, obviously, that's, um, that, that, that's probably way in the background here is, is Greece and um, you know, there's a lot, a lot of you know, a good smattering of, of European leaders here, and um, 
the, the teacher was in to part in a panel this morning with the, the Finnish Prime Minister and his Greek counterpart as, and as well with the, Lat- the Latvian Prime Minister and the German Economics Minister. Uh, and interestingly enough, Alexander started the Finnish um, Prime Minister seemed to signal a, a willingness to renegotiate the Greek, uh, the Greek bailout. He, he, he ruled out um, debt forgiveness, but uh, you know, a, a sort of a yet another bailout might might be on the cards. And, and uh, the T-shirt uh, did he, it didn't demur. He didn't he didn't sort of endorse it. So you know that's possibly something else going on in the uh, background here. Is, is European leaders are, are meeting to to talk about Greece and and the, the sort of assumed inevitability that um, Theresa will will win the election on Sunday. Any possibility of some retrospective uh, bailout funds or help for Ireland? I don't think um, uh, that's the tone that we're um, we're trying to strike uh, here here this week. I think it's all about the the, the future. Yeah, I do think though on that issue. Um, I mean, Kenny was very quick to point out today um, about you know the ability of Ireland to get through the bailout. About we need to get about the dangers of populism, really, and um, how we need to get clarity about what these new radical parties want to bring. So he was quite stark and warning the Greek people and the Greek government. He said things like, you know, if you have a bailout, there are conditions to that. The implications being Ireland has have, have fulfilled its conditions, and it's it's it, it's lived to tell the tale in a sense. But I mean, I do think it's going to be quite difficult for the government because anyone I've been speaking to here in Davos has said that some kind of debt restructuring of some form is probably going to take place for Greece. And this is probably very likely to be another extension of maturities or another reduction of interest rates. But how the Irish government reacts to this would be crucial if that emerges next week. Now, Eurozone finance ministers, including Michael Noonan, are meeting in Brussels on Monday, just the day after the Greek election. Uh, coincidentally, this had been scheduled for some time. But this is the kind of issues that are going to, going to come up for Ireland. So um, whether, and as we said there, the, the issue of direct recapitalisation seems to have been abandoned for the moment by the government because of the, the, kind of the rising value of the, of the two main banks. Um, but how uh, the Taoiseach and the Minister of Finance can, you know, can face the Irish people if Greece does get some an additional form of debt, relief or debt restructuring, um, could be quite difficult for the government in the coming weeks. John, have you any sense if the issue of AIB has come up? Obviously, it's on the road to privatisation, but David Duffy resigned as chief executive during the week and all sorts of issues possibly around a wage cap in terms of finding a successor for him. Any, any discussion about that at Davos? Well, um, I think you, you generally find most of the people here would be in favour of uh, no wage caps for, um, for bankers, but um, it's, not, it's not something that I've... I've uh, Picked up on. I mean, one issue that they that that uh, seems to be confronting a lot of leaders here is the whole rise of um, extremist parties on the left and, and the right, and uh, uh, the, the the strategies, if you like, for, for dealing with them. And indeed, um, you know, the the T-shirt has sort of made a, a plea here for another three to five years to uh, cement the Irish um, recovery and the the message he's sending is that if um, you know that if, if you elect uh, a, a populist party in, you could undo all this. Um, there is uh, actually the, something the, the to that good. potentially, Suzanne, isn't there? 
Yeah, I mean, I think what was interesting um, in the panel discussion that Andrew Kenny uh, participated in today, it's interesting that um, he, he was there alongside uh, the Prime Minister of the Netherlands and Finland, so a kind of northern countries. Latvia was there too because of its current presidency of the EU. But it was quite an interesting positioning of Ireland as with one of the kind of the northern pro-austerity, you know, fiscally responsible countries. There was no sign of, of the Spanish or Italians and Greeks on that panel. So I think it was very much a Kenny positioning himself as one of the responsible ones, if, if you like. Um, so that came through quite strongly. But the issue of, of, of political instability is a huge theme of this of this Davos session. Um, obviously, we've got the geopolitical context for Russia, and we've got the, the recent terrorist threats. But it's impinging on everything. For example, I was talking to Google executives here yesterday, and they're making the point that, okay, there's a lot of controversy about data privacy laws within Europe. Germany is very strong on that. But they were saying one of the big issues for them is how Google responds to the for, to the rise of terrorism and the use of modern technology and the internet to promote and uh, radicalism and promote terrorism. So, so they're having conversations around that uh, this week here. So, I mean, I do think there is a different tone to Davos in that sense. So the geopolitical impact on economics is one big theme here. And this morning, Larry Summers, the US, uh, former U.S. Treasury Secretary, he said that he thinks the biggest threat to the Eurozone economy in the next year is political. Um, and that was a theme in that session with Christine Lagarde this morning, that uh, the results of the Greek election and, and the results of the other elections we're going to see this year, particularly in Spain, could have profound ramifications for Eurozone economics in the next year. And John, just finally, uh, on a, a wider scale, if you like, I presume uh, global growth and oil prices and the tensions between Ukraine and Russia have also figure, figured prominently in the debate. The, uh, the, um, the Ukraine is, is, has certainly come up, and, and indeed I think the Ukrainians are here in, in, in force trying to, to um, stiffen the resolve, I guess, of the European, uh, the European partners. And uh, um, the, the line is quite a consistent line across all the European uh, partners is that the, the, the Russians must um, uh, they must adhere to the agreement uh, the Minsk agreement it's, it's, um, it's called uh, which is you know, what, what they must do if they want sanctions to end uh, but if there was a chink of light for, for them um, the German economics minister and indeed uh, Angela Merkel reiterated it the, um, there has to be some thought given to what happened, you know, what next for Russia once um, if it does um, comply with the, 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 the Minsk agreement and some sort of route map has to be found for them to restructure their economy seems to be the consensus. Yeah, just on that, that uh, the Russian issue with the team of the panel in which Andrew Kennedy participated this morning, um, both the Finnish Prime Minister and the Dutch Prime Minister were extremely strong. Um, they said there should be no loosening of sanctions. I mean, the context here is that in March, um, the EU, it's the first anniversary of the first set of sanctions against Russia, so they're going to have to revisit them. So, th so there's a lot of conversation now, is, is this the moment to maybe relax them? Um, but I do think as well that one of the issues is, again, Russia's role... Uh, in maybe a joint effort in fighting terrorism, Russia's role in, in Iran, Russia's role in Syria. So the EU is beginning to realize, okay, we may have these issues at Russia about Ukraine, but it is also an important and, and perhaps significant kind of ally or go-between uh, with other countries in different uh, serious geopolitical issues that are happening across the world.
Okay, guys, yeah, we'll leave it there. Uh, my thanks to business editor John McManus and European correspondent Suzanne Lynch for joining us from Davos. That's it from the Irish Times Business Podcast for this week. My thanks to researcher Declan Conlon, producer Sinead O'Shea, and sound engineer JJ Vernon. Don't forget, you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our business today email at irishtimes.com. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care. <laughs>